I could just keep singing that song too. I don't know who yelled that out over here, but or about keep playing. I could uh, keep singing that song, looking forward to heaven one day and being there and not being here anymore. But while we're here on earth, God has a mission for us. If you are here, then he has purpose for you. And we need to live in this world to be on mission for Jesus. And he wants to change the world through us. He wants to do good in our world through his people. When I was, uh, when our kids, our big kids, who are now all teenagers, were younger, they liked the show, especially Allie, our daughter, liked Dora the Explorer. Dora the Explorer was a show that um, tried to teach kids sort of like simple truths and simple phrases in Spanish and they would use repetition to get their point across and they would repeat, you know, the same phrase over and over, hoping that the children would memorize it by the end of the episode. But what also would happen is they would repeat the same phrases over and over, not only would the children be memorizing it, but the parents who were listening in the background by the end of the episode would want to take a hammer to the television. That was my walk away, at least, every day. That was, that was what I thought. This one time we were on a trip and we were driving to Pennsylvania where our families lived and we were coming from Indiana to Pennsylvania. We were on the toll road. We were somewhere in Ohio. And I don't know if your kids were like our, my kids, but they get excited about one particular show, one particular episode or movie or whatever. For instance, our son Elisha, when he was younger, loved the movie Cars. We literally have a Cars DVD in our house that is the third one that we own because he wore out the first two. They stopped working. He watched it so much. He loved that show or that, that movie. While Ellie was watching Dora the Explorer this one trip um, to Pennsylvania, and I think we were like six or seven episodes, like, like repeating the same episode by the sixth or seventh time. Okay. Tara has this gift. She's able to fall asleep in the car. That was God's like, gift to her during this season of our lives. I had to be awake to drive and I had to listen to this over and over and over again in my head. And so last week, Charlie said that kindness, remember he said kindness is love in action, right? And so I was thinking, I'm, you know, that's what kindness is. I'm like, I need to be kind to myself. I need to take some action steps here, right? I need to love myself. And so I pulled the car over somewhere in Ohio. I'm not totally sure where it was in the toll road, but I pulled the car over and that, that you know, sort of startles Tara. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing's wrong. I just pull the car over. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's okay, nothing. I, I just get up out of the car. I open up the back door of the minivan. I take the DVD out of the DVD player and I threw it <laughs> as far as I could into the woods. Normally I'm not like a litterer, but I'm pretty sure in that moment, like God was like, good job. We get back in the car and poor Allie, I do feel bad about this. She starts crying. I do feel a little bad about that. But we get back in the car and we start driving off and Tara's like, why did you do that? Like now she's crying and I'm like, listen, I can handle Allie crying for the rest of the way to Pennsylvania. What I cannot handle anymore is Dora talking about her map or her backpack. <laughs> I just cannot handle that anymore today. In the heat of that moment, I wondered, did I do the right thing? I thought I was being a good parent at that time. 
Now, as I look back years later, I know that I was being a good parent at that time. (laughs) In fact, that may have been the best parenting decision I ever made. That may have been like my highlight on my highlight reel of parenting was that moment right there where I looked like a discus player on the side of the highway somewhere in Ohio and got rid of Dora. I was doing it not just for me, but like for all the dads in the world who wanted to do that. I did it. Sometimes it's a fine line between being a good parent and a bad parent. And in our world, goodness is one of the words that we talk about, or that gets talked about here in the fruit of the spirit. But in our world, we don't really want to be good. We kind of look down on good. We want to be bad. Good is kind of like boring or vanilla or sort of just, yeah. right? People want to be bad. They want to be known that way. People come up to me all the time and they'll say, John, you are a bad man. <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. Nobody says that to me ever. But people don't want to be known as a good guy. We want to be a bad guy. When I was a kid, Michael Jackson wrote this great song. He didn't, he didn't write, I'm good. I'm good. He said, I'm bad. I'm bad. He said, you know it. Uh-huh. We want to be bad, not good. And the reason is because we have this picture. When we were kids and someone told us you need to be good, that was like code for don't do anything fun. Right? When, when my mom would leave us alone at the house, it was just us four kids, and she said, now be good. It was like, don't fight with each other. Don't set you know, don't torture any of the pets. Uh, don't do anything that could somehow start the house on fire. And as a young boy, me and my brothers were like, what are we supposed to do? Like, what is there left to do? You said, don't do anything fun, right? And so we have this idea of what good, good is simply be boring. Good is a picture of not really doing anything at all. God wants to transform our picture of what goodness is. And so he sent us this great example called Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is a person, he is goodness personified. He is a picture of what goodness is. When Jesus tells us to be good, it's to be good like Jesus, not to be boring good. You see, when Jesus came to our world, um, he brought good to our world he, by bringing hope to situations that were utterly hopeless. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus brought good to our world, he loved people that were utterly unlovable. He loved them anyway. That's what Jesus did. Jesus brought good to our world by being a voice and speaking for those who had no one else to speak up for themselves. That was the kind of good that Jesus brought to our world. Jesus came to our world and brought good by persevering, by showing incredible strength and inner character to persevere to the very end, including dying on a cross for the salvation of humanity. 
That was the kind of good he brought. And when we think about that kind of goodness, that gets us kind of excited, even more excited than destroying Dora the Explorer DVDs. That's the kind of goodness that we want to be a part of, changing the world and being a part of God's good on this earth. Some days we are surviving, yes, but other days we are meant to be a part of the bigger story that God is writing. And when we think about goodness that way, that is the exact opposite of boring. It, it, is, it is exciting to be a part of the good that God has for you and me to do here in this world. There's so much negative news that's out there. It is so easy to find and, and we are so drawn to it. We click on it all the time because we want to read, oh, what, what this person do wrong now? Oh, what, what's happening over here that's negative? And we just are kind of drawn to that. I love that Paul Sierra, local radio station, does a segment where they have all these good things happening in our world. They say, that's good news, right? And, and I clicked on the other Facebook page this week and I read and I kind of grabbed six headlines, just the headlines of stories that they were highlighting of things happening around the country that were good. Here's one of them. Here's six of them. Radio DJ helps to raise money to fix a broken truck of a 20-year-old who walked six hours to work each day. That's cool. A senior citizen puts in a pool for his neighborhood kids. It says, lonely after the death of his wife, Keith Davison has now filled his yard with children by installing an in-ground swimming pool that he has never swum in. That's cool. A few weeks ago, a local CBS News affiliate profiled a South Carolina mechanic who fixes old cars and he donates them to rural families in South Carolina who have no way to get anywhere without a ride. The response to the story was astounding and people in that area have now donated 800 cars to his cause. That's good. That's good news. Here in one of our uh, major cities here in the United States, a UPS driver spots an 86-year-old woman lying in the street, picks her up, and carried her to the local hospital. That's cool. After her friend was murdered, Lachelle adopted her friend's three toddlers. She needed a new car for her expanded family and her neighbors all chipped in and bought her one. That's good. <clears throat> Here's a fun one since we're in the middle of blockbuster movies coming out. Movie fans have donated more than $91,000 in counting to pay for a stunt woman's emergency brain surgery after she had sustained a head injury while on set. God is doing a lot of good in our world. And he wants you and I to be a part of it. And we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. We get to be a part of the good that God is doing. So I don't want you and you don't want, I hope you don't want to just live a normal life like everyone else's. Where we simply are focused on our own affairs, figuring out how to position ourselves the best that we can for, for ease and for comfort and for happiness for ourselves. God wants us to be a part of the good that he's doing in our world. And I want you to consider a question today. And I want you to think about this today and this week, and this month, and this year. I heard this question at the beginning of the pandemic a year and a half ago, and it was related to, to the pandemic specifically, but I think it's a great question for us to consider for our lives. Here's the, here's the question. Will the stories you tell at the end of your life be stories worth telling? Will the stories that you had to tell at the end of your life be stories worth telling? When people get around 
a box that your body is lying in and are putting you into the ground, will they have stories to tell of how you impacted other people? Will you be a part of the good that God wants to do in our world right now? If you are here on earth, you have purpose. If you are here, you are to be a part of the mission that God has to bring the gospel to those who don't know him and to do good in our world for God's glory. And when you come to the end of your life, will there be stories worth telling? Turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter five because we're gonna look at our passage again that we've looked at this summer. Galatians chapter five, we, we've looked at this because we, this can only happen where we have stories to tell. This can only happen if we surrender daily and lean into the spirit. Goodness is gonna be included in this list that we're gonna look at here in Galatians five. Goodness is one of the fruit of the spirit that we will talk about. Now remember, this list is not exhaustive. It's not like these are all the things that God will do, but this is sort of like when Paul was writing this fruit of the spirit list, he was saying, these are the kinds of things that you'll begin to see in your life as you surrender to the spirit. You'll begin to see love come out of your life where there wasn't love before and peace where there wasn't peace before and joy where there wasn't joy before and those kinds of things and goodness where there wasn't goodness before. That's what'll happen as you follow and surrender your life to Jesus. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about goodness, but here I also want to pause in the middle of our series and I want to kind of reset the series for you because what we don't want as pastors is for you to kind of walk away from this summer series and say, well, God just wants me to be a good person. He just wants me to be patient. He just wants me to be a little bit more loving and a little bit more kinder to you know, people, a little bit gentler. No, that's not what God wants at all. He wants you to lean into the Holy Spirit and allow him to transform you completely. That's what he wants. And so I wanna pause the series to kind of focus on that today so that you don't hear that we're just trying to help you be a better person, a little self-help series because that's not rooted in the gospel at all. So let's turn, let's read today in Galatians chapter five. If you wouldn't mind standing up with me, we'd like to do this here at Grace. We'll stand up and we'll read a passage together from the Bible. Galatians five, I had said to turn there, 16 to 23. We'll just read those verses all together. So here we go. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Good job. You have a seat. So let me reset things here again. We have this character, Billy Blue here. And... Here is our lives before we know God. 
okay? When we were born, we were born to die because we were slaves to sin. We could not not sin. We were under the power of sin, okay? Before we knew Christ, we could not not sin. We were under that power. And so because of that, there was punishment for our sin. And that was eternal death, separated from God. And the flesh was in charge of our lives. This old person, this old nature, who we were born with, that human nature, the presence of sin was all over it. The power of sin was over us. We could not not sin. And so because of that, the punishment for sin, death, was our destination. Couldn't change. That was it. But when Christ came, when he died on the cross, when he came back to life, he defeated this way of living. And so if we turn our lives over to Jesus, now we don't have eternal death anymore, but we have eternal life because of our relationship with God. This is, this is now set. We have this eternal life that we'll have one day in heaven with God that we were singing about this morning. And no longer are we slaves to sin. We don't have to sin anymore. We can actually choose not to sin. You and I don't have to be the way that we are. You don't have to say, well, that's who I am. I'm just, you know, I'm just that way. No, no, no. Because you're not a slave to sin anymore. If you are in Christ, if Jesus has taken over you, then you're now a child of God. You're not a slave anymore. And a child of God, their identity is in Christ. They don't have to give in to sin. They can be different. They can live differently. This is set. You, you, you are a child of God. That's who you are. You have eternal life. That's where you're going one day. If you are... If you have a relationship with Christ, this is all set. But here, this top is where the battle takes place every day. We just read about it in Galatians. It says your, your, your old flesh, your, your old nature is in constant conflict with the spirit. The old way of doing things versus the new way now of doing things are in constant conflict with each other, right? You feel that every day. I feel it every day. My old nature wants to take over, do things the way John wants to do things go back to only caring about John. And then I hear the Holy Spirit and he wants me to live differently and live for him instead. And so what I set my mind on determines how I'm gonna live that day. If I'm a believer in Jesus, no longer am I gonna have eternal death or I'm not a slave anymore, but I can still live in the flesh and I can still live with the presence of sin in my life. And some of us live that way or we have the opportunity to put our mind onto the spirit and live as Christ intended us to live. And when we put our mind onto the spirit, then those fruit become part of our lives. Patience and love and joy and peace. And when we live that way, we're going to have stories that are worth telling as we yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit and keep in step with him. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, our character, who we are in the inside is actually transformed. Areas where we used to hold on to sin, which reflect, reflected our human nature, now um, we, we live differently. We possess now the fruit of the Spirit and we begin to reflect God's character instead. One of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And like kindness, which we talked about last week, goodness is action. It's not just good for the sake of being virtuous, but it's an action. The Greek word literally means moral excellence. So moral excellence. Well, that doesn't describe me until God changes me, but then there's moral excellence that can come out of me. It's interesting, the uh, Hebrew kind of brother word for the Greek word was used in the Old Testament to only describe God. 
right? To only describe God. Uh, God's uh, moral goodness is the only way that it was described. God's essential nature. In fact, it was Jesus, if you remember this in the Gospels, when people are beginning to call him good um, and he's kind of challenging them, what does he say? He says, why do you call me good? And do you remember what his next line is? He says, only God is good, right? He got that from the Old Testament. Only God is morally righteous. Only God is morally excellent. Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. So what happened from the Old Testament and even from the Gospels when Jesus says only God is good to now in Galatians chapter five, where Paul is saying, if you live surrender to the spirit, you can be good. Goodness will come out of you. What happened in that gap? Well, what happened was Jesus Christ dying on the cross, completely taking away the punishment for sin and coming back to life and defeating the power of sin in our lives. So you and I now as children of God actually have the ability to be good, to have goodness come out of us, to take on a character or the character of Jesus himself, to actually become a picture of God as God works in our lives. See, the point of our faith isn't simply to get us to heaven one day when we die. And I think sometimes we short sell our faith We think that that's all that God has cared about is that we're no longer for death, but now we're gonna have eternal life with him. But but there's more to it. It's not about you just getting to heaven one day. You see, that's one part, but the other part is that the Holy Spirit wants to change you to become like Jesus so that you can be a part of his good work here on earth. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to surrender yourselves to him every single day so that you can be a part of what he is doing. And when you come to the end of your life, there will be stories to tell that are worth telling. See, God's ultimate purpose for your life isn't to let you simply survive here on earth and then take you to heaven. I know sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes there are seasons and years where it feels like I just want to get through this so that I can get to heaven one day. And we, uh, we need to set our minds on things above, but sometimes we live so heavenly minded, it's been said, that we're earthly useless. And God has purpose for you here on earth. If you are alive, he has purpose for you here on earth. And so he doesn't intend for you to simply survive here on earth and then take you to heaven. But I get that feeling. I've been there. Tara and I have been there where we're just, we just can't wait for heaven. But God has a bigger purpose than that. God's ultimate purpose is to completely transform you. God's ultimate purpose isn't just to take you to heaven one day, but his purpose is to completely transform you. Transformation is his goal. And transformation is different than what you and I typically want for our lives. Because transformation is painful. Transformation is difficult. But God has more in in, in store for us than we do. We would simply like it if God would just sort of bless our life of ease. But God, that's not his purpose for you and me. He wants to transform you into the nature of Jesus Christ, where you and I are no longer in charge of ourselves. Keep your finger in Galatians 5, because we'll come back here in a moment. 
but turn just a few pages earlier to the, the book right before to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It, it's literally just a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because here we're going to see where Paul, the same author, writes on this subject. In verses 14 and 15, here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us. What does it compel us to do? Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. You and I died. Our way of living, our old self, our old nature, who we were when we lived for ourselves, that's gone when I'm in Christ. And look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who, should, that those who live should no longer live for who? For themselves. They should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You and I no longer live for ourselves. My life is not about me. Your life is not about you. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died for us, who gave his life for us. And his love then compels us to live for him. That's transformation. God wants to transform you and me at the core of who we are. Not just a little bit of transformation. Not just that it makes you a little bit better, a little bit, you know, kinder, a little bit more loving, a, a little bit more gooder, as my younger daughter would say. No, he wants to completely transform you so that you don't look like the old you at all. So you and I can't do that by ourselves. Transformation is different. Um, we can't change ourselves, only God can. And transformation is different than knowledge about God. See, here, here's, here's, here's a couple of traps we have to be careful of. Transformation isn't uh, simply us learning things. Knowledge alone won't change us. In the West, we think that if we have something memorized, that means we know it. We test our kids every day in school by having them repeat things that we've taught them. And if they can say it, then they must know it, right? And, we, and knowledge is helpful to transformation, but it's not everything. See, I may have knowledge on how to throw a major league curveball because I can go to YouTube like we all do for everything else these days and I can learn that I need to put my fingers a certain way on the seams. I need to snap my arm a certain way and I can make rotation and I should be able to throw a major league curveball. I can even show my boys how to throw a curveball. But just because I know how it works doesn't mean that I can throw a major league curveball. In fact, if I could, I probably would not be standing here this morning. I would be getting ready for a game somewhere this afternoon. And if you're into science, you can discover, you can read and figure out why your body feels so good every time you get around somebody that you like. You know, you like this boy. Ooh. You feel really good when you're around, you like this girl. Well, the brain is firing these synapses, these chemicals are being released into your body and you feel really good when you're around them. Well, I can explain that to you. You can explain that to me, but that doesn't mean that you're very romantic, that you know how to, how romance works in front of a, a woman or a girl that 
you're interested in. And just because I can explain what godliness looks like in a person, it doesn't mean that I am godly. There's a difference between understanding a concept mentally and actually living it out. Knowledge alone won't change us, right? It's part of it. We do need to grow an understanding of God and his word, but information alone isn't sufficient for spiritual growth. Now, we're glad when you come to us and you say, man, we love coming to Grace because every week we learn so much. We're, we're glad that you say that or that you think that if you think that. But that's only a part of it. That's why our discipleship process here at our church isn't just about us learning more because God isn't after you gaining knowledge. He's after transformation. If your goal is to come to church to learn some things, that's not the same as spiritual growth. That's why the same people could be in the same church and do the same exact things under the same teaching, be involved in the same exact activities that everyone else is doing. And after 10 years, one person has depth to them and real goodness and genuine, authentic love for other people and sincere generosity and a, and a love for people who don't know God or are far from God and wants to bring them closer to God. That could be one person and another person who knows about those things and understands that it's important, but those are not character traits in their life. So coming to church and taking information will not grow you spiritually. It's part of it, but God's not just after you gaining the right answers to questions in Sunday school. Your spiritual life is not just about learning some things. It's about transformation. And that can't just happen from knowledge. That's one trap we fall into is knowledge. Another trap we fall into is uh, this idea of well, willpower alone can change me. But not only will knowledge alone not change you, willpower alone can't change us either. And so if you think or I think to myself, well, I'll just work hard enough to apply this truth that I'm learning and I'll change myself. This is the person who believes the problem in their lives is that they just need to try harder or simply be more disciplined. But that doesn't work because there's a deeper problem. What if there is a deeper problem? What if our will can only express what is already inside of our heart? See, we can, we can change a little bit with willpower and with knowledge, but we can't change our hearts. Only God can do that. I may be able to make myself a little bit better, a little bit nicer, a little bit kinder, but I can't make myself live the way that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, where love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness are just who I am. I can't do that myself. Only God can change my heart and bring that out of me. We can't fake that for very long. And the reason is that our wills can only express what's inside our hearts and only God can change our hearts. Now, we do need to study God's word and learn more. We do need to discipline ourselves for change, but knowledge and willpower alone won't transform a heart. We must also, here's the key, surrender. We must surrender our hearts to Jesus where we say, God, I want you to change me. God, I want you to be in charge of me. Where we ask the Spirit daily, we set our mind on the Spirit, and we say things like, Jesus, I had this plan today, I had an agenda, but what do you want me to do today with my time? Jesus, my, my friends 
keep bringing up this area in my life where I keep hurting them. Jesus, my, my spouse keeps getting frustrated with me because I keep doing the same thing over and over. I don't want to be like that. Would you please change me? Jesus, would, would you help me to look more like you? Here's kind of what I'm thinking about the world, but I'm not sure. Is it what you want me to think? And the person who sets their mind to the Spirit has an openness to Jesus to change them. They're not set in their ways where they're saying, this is how I'm doing it, I'm not changing. I'll, ch- I, I'll change a little bit for her just to make her happy, but I don't really want to change. Well, that's, that's not yielding to the Holy Spirit. And that's where transformation takes place. You see, the goal is not for you to be just a little bit better. You can do that with knowledge and willpower, but God's ultimate purpose is to completely transform you to make you different so that your friends don't even recognize you. In physics, which is something I know very little about, in the next paragraph, I'm gonna say everything that I know about it. In physics, something, uh, a transformation is defined as the induced or the spontaneous change of one element into another element by a nuclear process. Okay, let me say that one more time. Transformation is defined by the induced or the spontaneous change of one element into another element by a nuclear process. Let me say it this way. Here's how I understand it. Transformation is when a thing turns into another thing. Right? Transformation is when one thing, one element turns into another element. When one thing turns into another thing. That is what God's ultimate purpose for you is to be completely transformed. It's not to just turn the first thing into a little bit different version of that first thing. God wants to completely change you, who you were, into a brand new you. God wants to take you from surviving to thriving. It's not just your life getting a little better, but Jesus wants to actually bring total upheaval to your life. He wants to completely change the way that you think about other people. He wants to completely change the way that you love, the lengths that you'll go to to love and show grace to others. He wants to completely change the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you talk so that you don't talk like everybody else. He wants to completely change the way that you dream about your future, the way that you live. He wants to completely transform you, to turn you from one thing into another thing. See, you and I don't need a little body work. We need a complete overhaul. We need a complete overhaul. And I think you and I forget that. We think we were pretty good and God just making us a little better. No, Ephesians chapter two says that you were an enemy of God, that you were dead in your sins, that I was an enemy of God before he brought me into his family. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, we looked at verses 14 and 15. Look down to verse 17. This is the gospel. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. What's it say next? The old has gone, the new is here. 
He wants to completely transform you. That's the gospel. If you're living your life just trying to say, God, would you just make me a little bit different? I don't want to really change. I want to still be in control. I'm going to live for my flesh, for myself every day. I'm not really going to live for you. You're not really in charge of me. But if you could just make me a little nicer so my wife would get off my back, if you could just make me a little bit more generous, you know, if you could just make me a little bit more like this, that's what I'm really want. And Jesus is saying, no, the, that old person, he's gone. That's not who you are anymore. The new has come. And when you and I don't want that kind of upheaval or change in our lives, we are fighting God. We're fighting his work in our hearts to become who he wants us to be. God's ultimate purpose is to completely transform you. To make you so different that you don't even know yourself. You and I are new creation. That's our identity in Christ. That part is settled. But how do we see this transformation lived out in our lives? How do we win this daily battle with our flesh, with our old nature? In Galatians 5, we, we read it today. Galatians 5, let's turn to the next verse. Verse 25, it says it this way. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, if we live by the Spirit, then we need to keep in step. We need to walk like the Spirit walks. We need to live like the Spirit lives. How do we do that? In other words, we spend time with God. Here's how the NLT, the New Living Translation, translates that verse. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We do that by spending time with God. See, if we connect with Jesus daily, then daily we will change to be like Jesus. You can't pretend that you're a good Christian. That just doesn't work. You can fake it for maybe a short time, maybe an hour each week, maybe for a short period of time in your life. But if you're gonna see complete transformation, that can only come by the Spirit. And that only comes if we daily connect with Jesus. If we connect with Jesus daily, then daily we will change to be like him. Transformation begins with a real relationship with Jesus. Do you know how real relationships work? And we, we do, they're, they're hard, but, but they're not super complex. The way that a real relationship works, if you have a real friendship or you have a real close relationship with your spouse, it, it comes by spending time with that person where you, you share your heart with that person. You open up to them about things that you don't open up to other people about where you're vulnerable. It's where you listen to them being vulnerable and you are a safe place where someone else can open up and share things, private things that they won't share with just anybody else, but only with you, a good friend or you, a spouse. And the same is true in our relationship with God. We, we must get personal with him. We must spend time with him where we, we share our hearts with him and where we listen to sh have him share his heart with us. See, when you cut off a branch from a tree, it loses its ability to produce fruit, right? If I cut off a, a, a branch from, a, from an apple tree, no more apples are gonna come off that branch. And if I don't regularly spend time with God on a regular basis, a daily basis, just because I did five years ago, doesn't mean there's gonna be fruit in my life today. I have to continually pursue Jesus Christ, continually pursue that relationship, that daily relationship with him. I have to stay connected to have power to change, to see real transformation. And that comes from that daily encounter with God. You know, the summer is a hard time for time with God because our schedules maybe are all flipped around and 
different than they usually are. In our small group last week, we were all kind of confessing that. You know, there were a couple that had still been disciplined, but a lot of us had said, yeah, over the summer, it's been really hard, you know, because we're just getting up at different times and just doing different things and staying up later than we normally do and all that and kind of cuts into our time with the Lord. And, and, and so if that's you, you know, hey, you're, you're not alone. You know, that's, that's, that's a lot of us. Or, or maybe you just don't have a regular time with God. It's not been a part of your routine. But if you want to see transformation, that's, what you, that's a step you need to take. Church coming here and learning is a great step. But then a step that's really going to show growth in your life and change is you taking your serious, your relationship with God to another level, just personally spending time with him. That's true if you're a teenager here today or an adult is you taking responsibility to spend that time with God. That's where transformation really begins to take place. Real quickly, it's easy, um, an, easy, an easy way to think about it is to pick a place, pick a time of day, and pick a plan. Pick a place, pick a time of day, and pick a plan. Usually, usually t- our time with God fails for not having one of those things. If we don't have a certain place where we kind of go to, this is where I'm going to go meet with God. I know I'm going to, when I'm here, that's my purpose. In this, in this chair, in this room, in this you know, part in, of the porch. This is where I meet with God. It's really helpful if you have a time of day. Um, if your schedule's like mine, if I don't plan it, I, it just doesn't happen because uh, other things take over. You know, someone needs something, you know, and, and I kind of get focused on something else. So we have to pick a time of day. For some of us, the morning is a great time. For some of us, the evening. Maybe it's your lunch. Maybe it's your, in your work truck before you, you know, before you get onto the job. You pick the time, you pick the place that works for you and you pick a plan, a simple, a simple plan where you're gonna, maybe you're gonna read a chapter a day through the Gospel of John or maybe you're gonna read through the New Testament this year or maybe you're gonna, whatever, but you, you pick a plan and there's so many great ones through the YouVersion app. Maybe you've tried this before, it just didn't work. Listen, try again. Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to completely transform you. He loves you. It's not like a chore where you just kind of check it off. Then, then you're not gonna see transformation happen if you're just checking it off. But if you're saying, God, I wanna meet with you today. God, I am desperate for you. I am so wicked. I need you to change me. I need you to speak with me. He will. He's a good God. He loves you. And he will come and he will meet with you and you will see this take place in your life. You don't need to read the Bible for hours, but you do need to spend some time in his book and then talk to him and then let him talk to you. That's how we keep in step with the Spirit. See, it's so critical because we know this from life. We become like the people we spend time with, right? We become like the people we spend time with. That's why parents, you know, you're so concerned about who your kids' friends are because whether they try it or not, they become like the people to hang out with. The same is true for adults. We become like the people that we hang out with. And if we want to become like Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus. We don't really understand how this works. It just happens. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But, it, you know, sometimes it's neither. But it, we just become like the people that we spend time with. My sister, she's a couple years older than me. Here and I grew up in the same family. We went to the same high school, right? Um, but after she graduated from high school, she went to a small college in Florida and she met a guy from there, married him. And they've lived in Florida now for 30 years. And so she, you know, when I talked to her on the phone, I have to chuckle sometimes. I would think she grew up like in Alabama or Georgia or something, the way that she talks. She'll say, she'll say like the things like to me and my brothers, which was three boys, one girl. And so we, she often got picked on. She'll say, y'all need some help. We grew up in the same town in Pennsylvania. But now after living there for 30 years, she sounds like she's from the South and she does really make really good sweet tea. 
But you know, the more that you spend time around people, you begin to talk like them. You begin to say their phrases. You, you sometimes even begin to, to like some of the same things that your friends or your group of people like or your spouse likes. As you spend time with Jesus, you'll begin to talk like him. You'll begin to think like him. You'll begin to use his phrases. And you'll begin to do the things that he does. That's how transformation happens. When we intentionally spend time around Jesus and Jesus' people, transformation will begin to take place. It'll happen. Let me close with this. All of us spend time with God every single day. It just depends what God you spend time with. See, the God that you spend time with will affect how you live. If money and wealth is your God and all you ever think about is how to get ahead, about how to get more, about how to gain more, then you will begin to see everything and everyone through this lens. How does this person have value to me? That's how you'll see people because that's your God. Money, wealth, possessions, stuff, gaining more. If your God is looks or lust and all you ever think about is how other people look or how you look or how you want them to look or how you want to look better and that's all that's in your mind, that's the God you're spending time with and that's all you ever think about. And everyone and everyone, you'll begin to see them in terms of how they look to you or how you want to look to them because that's your God. If your God is... um, Knowledge, you're someone who's always trying to to kind of improve yourself and better yourself and that's just your whole focus in life and you're just researching stuff all the time on the internet and and, and, and trying to learn as much as you can. You'll begin to view yourself as superior to everybody else. You'll, You'll look at people in terms of how much they know compared to how much you know. You'll begin to 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 look at yourself as superior and, and you're not like those sheep because you have this inside knowledge that they don't have. But if you begin to spend time with Jesus, if Jesus is the God that you spend time with, your life will begin to look like his life. You'll begin to have joy that doesn't make sense in the midst of hardship. It'll just come out of you. You'll begin to be patient when other people have lost their patience. You'll begin to love in incredible ways because you'll be with Jesus and you'll look like him. This, this week, I was in a circle of people from here at our church. We were having a conversation and through tears, one of the ladies was telling us how in just the last few months, she was asked by God to love this person, to help this person who needed help, who had almost ruined her family just a few years ago. But she felt compelled to help her and she didn't know why. And she obeyed. And she did it. And through tears, she's telling us this. And she says, who even does that? Like, that doesn't make sense. Why did I do that? And the answer is because she is becoming like Jesus. Because we begin to do things that we wouldn't normally do by ourselves. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you can do something by yourself, then you don't need God. And that's not the fruit of the Spirit. But when you begin to see fruit coming out of your life that wasn't there before, that you don't know what you're saying or thinking or how you're living, you're surprising yourself or you're surprising the people around you, that's the evidence of God in your life. 
When you come to the end of your life, will the stories you tell be stories worth telling? God has so much good for you to do. Let's go and do it. Lord, we're so grateful that we have your Holy Spirit to rely on, that we don't need to live by ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you love us unconditionally despite ourselves, despite the times where we try to just do it on our own. God, we continually go back to who we were and I can just do this myself. I'm so grateful, God, that, uh, that you don't let us that way. Your grace is new every morning. Your mercy is brand new every morning. God, you wanna meet with us again. I pray, Lord, that you, that you would do that, that you would transform us from the inside out. Make us like your son, Jesus Christ. Our world is desperate for the good that we can do through you. In your name we pray all these things, amen. Hey, it's been a great uh, day. We got to celebrate with the Matas. Momentum is starting here this evening. Pray for our teenagers this week that God would work and move in this place. Hey, we got the, uh, we got the fair starting on Friday night. That's exciting. If you ever need prayer at the end of a service, our, one of our elders is always trying to be up here in the front. We'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next Sunday. We love you. Take care.